I'm so glad that you're here this morning. For those of you I haven't had the chance to talk to or meet yet, my name is Eric, and I'm the youth pastor here at Core Church. And right now, we're in the middle of a series called Amongst Life, where we're talking about different spiritual practices that can make a difference in our lives. And this series was created after our lead pastor, Pastor Brad, went to a monastery during his annual prayer retreat to spend time learning from the monks and to spend time in prayer. And in full transparency, I did not go to the monastery and spend time with the monks. But I did go on my annual prayer retreat, and what I'm going to talk about this morning is a takeaway that I had during that time. Last week, we heard from Rabbi Moshe, who talked about having a greater sense of reverence for God. And one thing he said that was really important was that God needed to be the center of our life. That way, our life revolves around God. If God isn't the center of our life, then it's like we're having God revolve around us. And he said, that's not reverence. And I hope that you were as challenged and as encouraged as I was last week from that conversation. It was just really, really good. And this morning, what we're going to talk about as we continue our series is this concept of time and creating space to think and to process. And this was a big takeaway for me as I came home from my prayer retreat. And it really has changed the way that I begin and that I end each day. And if you've got your Bibles with you, get those out. If you've got the old school Bible, flip that open. If you've got the Bible on your phone or your device, we're going to be in the book of Psalms in Psalm 90. And uh, I read out of the New Living Translation. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, I encourage you to download version. I think that'll be really helpful for you. And for those of you who are new to church, what the book of Psalms is, is it's a collection of writings and of poems from different authors that has been collected for us to read. And this particular Psalm that we're going to be reading is written by a guy named Moses. And again, for those of you who are new to church and don't know who Moses is, he was an incredible leader and prophet in the Old Testament. He was a prophet. He delivered messages from God to the people of Israel. And he was also the guy that led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Just an incredible, incredible guy. And in Psalm 90, Moses writes this. Lord, through all the generations, you've been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, mortals, for you a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They're like grass that spring up in the morning. In the morning, it blooms and flourishes, but by evening, it's dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We're overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80, but even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Oh, Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see your work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord, our God, show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time that we have just to open your word. I thank you for that time of worship, just to stand and just to worship you and be in your presence is just incredible. So I thank you for that. And I thank you for the word that we have this morning that Moses wrote so long ago. And I pray that as we read it and as we 
hear from it. I pray that we hear something for the very first time, something new, something fresh, something tangible that we can take and we can apply to our life. And God, I want to be faithful to the text, and I want to say only what you want me to say. Nothing more, nothing less. We just ask your spirit to move in this place, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, I got to tell you, smartphones have just completely revolutionized the way that we connect and the way that we communicate. And believe it or not, the first iPhone was released almost 12 years ago. And it's just hard to think of a world that existed before smartphones. I remember talking to one of my kids this last week, and we were taking a picture, and they're just so used to seeing it immediately. Whereas when I was a kid, when you took a picture, you waited till Christmas as a gift when you'd get those pictures developed. And they just don't understand that concept because everything is so instant because of the technology of smartphones. And one thing I think that they still got to get right is the battery life. And uh, this, uh, this is my iPhone that some of you have probably seen me use from time to time. Um, and what's different from my phone to the ones that you probably have with you right now? Yeah, it's got a cord in it, right? And it's plugged into a uh, very large, very heavy rechargeable battery. And overnight, it seemed, because of a bad battery, my cell phone, my portable device, became a landline, which means that it has to always be plugged in and can never, keyword, never be unplugged or else it won't be able to be used. And one thing that I see on my phone is the battery life. It says that it's 100%. And I, I researched it. It's, it's lying to you. That 100% means 40%. And as I used this over the months and months that I kept on using this, that level began to drop and began to be less and less. And I just began to spend less and less time on my phone, which was nice if I'm being honest. If you were to open your phone and go to your settings, there's a thing called screen time where you can track in your phone in a week, in a day, the text messages that you've sent, music that you've listened to, apps you've used, games that you've played, how much time you spent watching YouTube, how many times this week that you've picked up your phone to check your bracket since March Madness started. It can tell you. My bracket's broken, but it can tell you. It's just an incredible thing. And you, know you want to know what my screen time is on this thing in a week? My screen time is 32 minutes. Not in a day, in a week. 32 minutes. And some of you, you might, be, you might be impressed, but some of you, you're like, hmm. No, you're lying. There's just no possible way. This guy's on stage. He's lying in church. What kind of church is this? I promise you, in full transparency, I am telling the truth. And you would believe me if you use this, you know, contraption. I'm telling you, this is not, this just is not great. Like when you're, there's, there's nothing about this that is helpful or that is cool. I'm telling you, I promise you, I'm telling the truth. And before long, it just stopped working altogether, and I was forced to get another phone. And what amazed me was what changed, and what changed very, very quickly. I went from 32 minutes a week on this phone to then getting another phone, and overnight, I went from 32 minutes to two hours and 36 minutes a day on my phone, in a day. So if you do the math, that is over 16 and a half hours in a week that I spent on my phone. And just to give you some more perspective, 16 and a half hours means that you can drive to Dallas and back twice <laughs> in the amount of time that I spent on my phone in a week. And I just began to be paralyzed by this thought of so much time. And I'm like, is this normal? Is this average? So what did I do? I Googled some national average statistics of people 
that's, that have smartphones and how much time they spend on it. And I found some really interesting statistics. Tweens, so kids in fourth grade to sixth grade, on average, tweens spend anywhere from four hours and 36 minutes a day on their phone. Teenagers, on average, spend six hours and 40 minutes on, on their phone. And adults, on average, in a day, spend three hours and 35 minutes on their phone. Now, if you were to do the, the math with that, in a week, most of that screen time amounts to over 24 hours, which is a day, right? So in a week, that means that 24 hours is spent doing this, scrolling and swiping and showing cat puke videos and showing whatever, whatever the Florida man, I don't know if you've seen that viral thing that's going on, it's just, oh, that's great, over a day that's spent doing that. Now, some of you might push back because you might look at your phone and be like, I connect with this. This is how I communicate. This is a computer for me. I work on this. And I get that. But we're in church, so let's be honest. Let's be transparent. How many times have you picked up your phone intentionally to check the weather, to check traffic conditions, to text a friend, to call your parents, to email a coworker, and then 45 minutes goes by and you're getting off of Instagram and you can't remember why you were holding the phone in the first place? (laughs) Right, like we've all done that. Let's just be honest. And what's interesting is how time can just escape us if we're not careful. And just to be clear, this is not a message about how smartphones are bad and stealing our time. Right, before smartphones, it was too much time around the newspaper, too much time around the radio, too much time playing marbles, too much time playing jacks, too much time watching TV, too much time playing with the Rubik's Cube, too much time playing with the slinky on the stairs. Get that slinky off the stairs. What are you doing? Like, come on. And some of you, you're like, I have no idea what you just said. Like, marbles, jacks, slinkies. So you're going to have to Google that. But don't do that right now because screen time, we don't want to use it. We want to focus up here, right? When I was a kid, it was too much time playing video games. That was the battle. Right, so, okay, this is an old problem just with a new product. That's what this is, an old problem with a new product. And today, I don't want to talk about the TV, radio, or smartphones. I want to talk about something that, that I think we don't talk enough about and something that I, I think that, that we don't think enough about. What I want to talk about today is this concept of time and the way that we spend it, the, our time, each one of our time and how we each spend it. And as you're sitting there, I want to ask you some questions. And these are just rhetorical, so I just want you to think of these questions, ask them to yourself as I ask them to you now, okay? First question is this, am I spending my time on things that matter? Am I spending my time in a way that makes a difference and makes the world a better place? Am I spending my time in a way that gives God glory and helps others see the hope, the healing, the peace, and the purpose that's found in Jesus? Because the truth is, time is short, and we don't know how much time each one of us have. And maybe another question is, do we even know where our time is going? Do we even know how our time is spent? How? How? How are we spending our time? What I love about Moses and what he wrote for us in Psalm 90 is that he addresses this concept of time. So grab your Bibles again, Psalm 90, and look at verse 1 and 2. Moses says this. 
Lord, through all the generations you've been our home, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. I love that. From beginning to end, God is there, which means that God is always in control. And which means also that especially that God is in control of time because God created it. Last week when we heard from Rabbi Moshe, he said something kind of in passing as he was talking that just rocked me. I mean, it just stopped me dead in my tracks. And it has affected everything that I've thought about this week. It's affected the way that I've spent my time and it's affected everything that I've put my hand to. And what he said last week was this. The very first thing that's called holy in the Bible is time. Time is holy. And I wonder if so often we can make light of our time because we don't think of it as something that is holy. The very first thing that's called holy in the Bible is time. So often we can start our day by saying, what am I gonna do instead of why am I doing this? Right, it's about being intentional. This is why our time matters so much is because it's holy. And that means that each one of us have the chance to see time differently, to talk about time differently, instead of it being just this thing that we kill or this thing that we waste or this thing that we just kinda let pass us by. I'm sure you've all heard those phrases. Just killing time, just wasting time. In verse 12, Moses says this, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Teach us the brevity of life. What Moses is saying here is for us to realize that time is short, that our time matters, and to help us be wise in the way that we spend it. And how we grow, how we grow in wisdom when it comes to the way that we spend our time is done in a few ways, and I want you to write these down. How we grow in wisdom when it comes to the way we spend our time is by realizing, first thing, that time is holy. I want you to write that down. The second thing is that time matters. And then the last thing is how we spend our time is really important. So again, time is holy, time matters, and how we spend our time is really important. As you're writing that, I want you to turn to somebody next to you and tell them, time is holy. Tell them, hey, your time is holy. When I was in college, I, uh, I was in a band with a guy named Spencer Green. And before I played music with him, he was in another band that created a CD of music, kind of at the dawn of copying and sharing CDs. We used to call it burning CDs. Some of you know that phrase. But if you have no idea what I'm talking about, what would happen is, say there's a CD that came out of your favorite artist and your friend has it and you go to the store to buy it and it's a little pricey and you're like, eh, I really want to spend $20 on a CD. So your friend could burn a copy of it for you. And now that you had a copy, you could copy it for other people and 20 people and so on and so forth. And this just, this just really made Spencer kind of ag aggravated. Like he just didn't like it, right? And because we'd be at these concerts and then He'd see CDs that had been copied, and it just, it just, made, him, it just made him frustrated. And what we, because uh, for a time there, Spencer was focused on album sales and profits and kind of all the finances and money coming in and filling up the passion bucket. And again, when he saw his CD out in the wild copied, it just made him frustrated. 
But then I started playing music with him and, and things were different. He was writing a lot of really good music, writing it really, really quickly. And he wanted to get it out to anybody and to everybody, but he just wasn't sure how that was gonna happen in the age of copying CDs. And so we figured out what we could do, what that might look like, and we were getting really ramped up and really excited for what was gonna happen, how we were gonna play, what we were gonna do. And then we got hit with a curveball that we didn't see coming. I remember when Spencer called me and he said, Eric, emergency band meeting, 20 minutes, my apartment, we'll see you there. Like, wow, that escalated quickly. So I'm walking across campus in, in, in a complete panic. And in my mind, I'm thinking, is there a new band member? Am I getting kicked out of the band? Like, what is gonna be said? What is gonna happen? Did I play something wrong? Did I say something? Did I sing a wrong line? They're gonna ask me to play saxophone in a song. I don't know how to play saxophone. <laughs> That's how they're gonna get me out of the band. Eric, you can't play saxophone. We need a saxophone player, so on. Hey, thanks for your time, though. Really appreciate it, right? Just the way our mind can just play tricks on us. And all those things weren't true, but I was just allowing my mind to drift and wander. But I, so I'm walking to Spencer's apartment, and I get in, and I sit down next to Ryan, our bass player, and Scott, the drummer, who's also Spencer's brother, and I'm like, all right, here we go. And uh, Spencer looks up, and he says, guys, my cancer's back, and it's back with a vengeance. I've beaten it twice, but this time it's different. And the doctors say, I've got less than a year to live. And all of a sudden, there were a lot of things that weren't important. And only a few things that were. Because for Spencer, time became holy. Time mattered. And how he was going to spend it was really important. And as far as he was concerned, there were three things that just had to happen. The first thing was this. We had to record this music. And the second thing was we had to go on tour. We, uh, we called it the living room tour. And it's just how it sounds. You know, we played in people's living rooms, whether we knew them or not, whether it was an acquaintance of somebody or a random friend. <laughs> it's like, hey, can we play in your living room? It's really big. Yeah, sure, great. We played in the, in the lobby area of Starbucks, whether they asked us to or not. We just kind of set up shop and just started playing. We made these uh, T-shirts that had the logo that we were using, and it was screen printed really bad. And, and, but we're like, hey, whatever, it kind of looks cool. Like, it was just, it was a lot of fun. And the third thing was we had to get this music out and get it available to anybody and to everybody. And here's how we were going to do it. We were going to give it away for free. And if you got a free CD at our concert there was a catch to it. You had to copy it five times, give it to five people, and tell them to do the same, just to make sure that the music kept going. And what I learned from Spencer was that every day, every day matters. And I learned to make the most of every moment. And I learned, as Spencer used to say time and time again, I learned to enjoy every sandwich. Maybe you need to write that down. Enjoy every sandwich. Now, of course, there's more to it than a tuna melt that he's talking about, right? But just that concept of being present, enjoying every moment, making the best of every day, 
And when Spencer died at his funeral, everybody that left got a copied CD of his music with the charge to make sure that you copied it five times, gave it to five people, and told them to do the same, just to make sure that the music kind of kept, kept on going, right? Teach us to realize the brevity of life. Time is short. Time is holy. And how we spend it is really important. So how do we live like time is holy? Because the truth is, we won't all face that kind of experience. Yes, we all face death, but we don't all face death in a way of, hey, you've got less than six months left to live. We won't all face that. So how do we face life in a way that makes our time holy? I think it starts with us realizing that every day is a masterpiece. I want you to write that down. Every day is a masterpiece. Just think about what that means. Every day matters. Every day is a masterpiece. And when we see each day as a masterpiece, we tend to make more of the time that we have, and we have a chance to make something beautiful. It's like starting each day like an artist with a blank canvas. What's it going to be? What's it going to look like? We have this chance to make something beautiful out of it because every day is a masterpiece. For those of you that are parents, for those of you that have parents, for those of you that have ever created something or made something for your parents, this, uh, this for me, is a masterpiece. My oldest son, his name's Noah, his middle name is Spencer, he, uh, he made this for me. And it is a, a drawing that he did at school one day of, we'll make sure every side gets to see it, of dinosaurs and dragons that are flying around and they're eating trees and they're eating each other and they're, uh, that's kind of terrible now that I said that out loud, but it, there's, a, there's a, a volcano and lava's erupting and blowing down everywhere and running down the, the volcano. Like, I just love it. Like, I, I love this, this drawing. It's a masterpiece. But the truth is, this will never be hung in the Philbrook Museum. Like, that's just the reality of it. But because my son made it for me, I value it. So while it won't get hung in the Philbrook, it will get hung on our refrigerator. Because to me, this is a masterpiece. This is a masterpiece. And what I want us to think about is what are we handing God at the end of the day when it comes to the way we've spent our time? If every day is a masterpiece, right, what are we handing to God at the end of the day when it comes to the way that we've spent our time? It might not look like much most days, but if we do it out of love to God, it's a masterpiece. And here's what we've got to really understand is that a masterpiece, it isn't just the big things. I learned that from a friend of mine who went clear across the planet to dig water wells in another country. Just an, an incredible experience. And he came back just fired up. And I'm like, man, if that's, <laughs> that's the bar, I can't, I can't get there. I can't do that. If that's a masterpiece, it's just not going to happen. And he really encouraged me that those things matter, but it's the little things, too, that are a masterpiece. Little things like gathering your family around the table for dinner talking about your day. When was the last time you did that? A masterpiece 
is talking to a friend, listening to a friend who's just had a really bad day. A masterpiece is, students, you should probably write this one down. A masterpiece is texting your parents for no other reason but to tell them how great they are and how much you appreciate them. Students, I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. You should probably write, you're not going to write that down. So just, just think about that in your head. Text your parents, tell them how great they are. Because as a parent, if I was to get a text message like that from my kid, I mean, the sky's the limit. Whatever you want to do, son, like, go for it. That's, that's probably not true. But my mind would go there for a second, right? A masterpiece is talking to your kids and figuring out what they like, what they're into, what they don't like. A masterpiece is at the end of the day talking to your neighbor who's across the yard. I know sometimes we can get home and we're tired and we just wanna make the mad dash through the garage, right? Or through the front door, even though we've seen the neighbor, we've made eye contact and now that's just gonna be awkward. You know, we say something like, we just really had to go to the bathroom or the bag was heavy, we gotta put it down or whatever it is. I get that. But a masterpiece would be to stop, ask them about their day, ask them about their kids who are off to college, ask them about the gopher holes in the front yard that they're having problems with, same way you are. Like, that's, that's a little thing, but that's a masterpiece. It's inviting somebody new to your lunch table at school. That's a masterpiece. That's what being intentional with our time looks like. But so often, if we're not careful, we're just waking up, we're going to work, we're going to school, we're dropping the kids off, we're picking the kids up, we're taking them to practice, we're taking them to the next practice, we're taking them to the next game, we're going home, we're unloading the groceries, we're running the errands, we come home, we check the scores, we do homework, we binge whatever, and wait till the weekend until we can really live. But time is short. Time is holy. And how we spend it is really important. So how can we live every day as a masterpiece? How can we enjoy every sandwich? What does that look like? Here's how I think we do that. In verse 14, Moses says this. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Each morning is what Moses is saying here. Invite God into the first 10 minutes of your day. This is what Moses is doing, inviting God into the flow of his daily life. And what that looks like for us is beginning the day and giving God the very first 10 minutes to plan out our day. Who do you need to go see? What errands do you need to run? What do you want to see accomplished? What kind of conversation do you want to have with your kids? What kind of conversation do you want to have with your spouse? What kind of conversations do you want to have with your roommates? That's what being intentional with our time looks like, is by doing things on purpose and doing things for a purpose. Every day is a masterpiece. And the truth is, none of us would say that we want to waste our time. We don't want to do that. We do not want to waste our time. In verse 15, Moses says this, give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Now, while we might not say that we've had evil years, but what if we replace evil with wasted? And then you think about your day. 
wasted minutes, wasted hours, wasted days. The truth is, is that time builds up because time is holy, because time matters. You know, I've lived 11 years since Spencer died, and I haven't treated every day as a masterpiece. I haven't enjoyed every sandwich. I haven't made the most of every single moment. And at the end of the day, when it came time for me to hand God my masterpiece and the way that I spent my time, I mean, to be quite honest, there were days when I didn't have anything to hand him at all. But that's why I love what Moses says in verse 14. And again, he says, satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love. And what that means is for us is that every day, the day after we don't get it right, the next morning that God is present for us to have another chance because God's love is unfailing. So what that means is, is that there's nothing that God can't redeem. That's what God is in the business to do is to redeem our soul, to redeem our hearts, to redeem our lives, to redeem our days. That's who God is and that's what God does. And then it says unfailing love, which means that he will never fail us. There's a lot of things in this world that just fail us. My March Madness bracket failed me. The first day, I was just killing it. And I'm like, man, I'm not even the best guy at the sports statistics, but I'm pretty proud of this. I took a screenshot just so that I'd have it for later. And then, of course, the next day, it didn't even matter anymore. Like, that's, that's not what this is about. What God does is so big. His love never fails us. So what that should do is that that should encourage us to wake up, give God the first 10 minutes of our day. And that by saying, God, I want to treat this day as a masterpiece. I want to treat this day like it matters. I want to treat my time as holy. And then what we do at the end of the day is we take 10 minutes to reflect on the day that we just had. And we think through things that we were able to do, conversations that we were able to have. And I, th I, think, it's, I think it's healthy to think through things that we could have done differently. Th things that we could have said differently or done differently, or maybe not even done at all. I also think it's really important for us to think through things that we did really, really well. And then what we do is we take that masterpiece, we take that time, we take that day, and we give it to God. And we say, God, here, here's my masterpiece. Here's my day. And to be quite honest, it's not much. And if I'm being really honest, it isn't my best. Here's what's amazing, because God's love is unfailing. Here's what he does. He takes it, and he adds it to the others, right? The other days, the other masterpieces, and God makes something beautiful out of it. So why, why do this? Why begin our day with 10 minutes that we give to God to plan? Why end our day with 10 minutes to reflect? Because the truth is, we all wanna be able to say what Moses said at the end of this psalm. In verse 17, this is what we all wanna say at the end of our day, at the end of our week. We wanna say this in verse 17. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. 
Moses is, he, he says this twice. Moses is asking God for help. And so if Moses, who was an incredible leader, did incredible things, if he needs help, then we need help too. Because we want to be able to say, like he did earlier in the psalm, that we want to be able to sing for joy to the end of our lives. That's what we want to be able to say. And I think it begins by realizing that every day is a masterpiece. Every day. Even the days when you don't get it right. Even the days when you don't make the most of your time. Even the days when you let time just kind of pass you by. Even the days when you realize something you could have said differently, done differently, or not done at all. It begins by realizing that every day is a masterpiece. And it starts 10 minutes at a time. 